0: Okay, I think we are live if our trusty producer and creative director, Mr. Ryan Thrower, is to be believed. Good evening, everyone. Happy uh, Monday, Monday morning or Monday evening trail running, (laughs) Monday night trail running. Uh, We may get a cease and desist from Monday night football, but that was uh, all Ryan Thrower's doing. So thanks so much to Ryan for letting us know we're live. And thanks so much to everybody who's watching us live. Uh, We are going to be having a fun industry-oriented conversation this evening. Joining me as usual is Corinne Malcolm, the returning champion, who is our MVP here. And then joining us from Utah, I believe, is Mike Ambrose. Mike, welcome to the conversation. How are you, buddy?
1: Doing great. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so we were just saying, everybody knows Corinne at this point. So maybe provide the quick 60-second introduction into who you are, your experience in the industry, and what you're up to now at normal.
1: Gosh, I don't know if 60 seconds is too long or too short, but, um, so right now I'm the uh, country manager for the United States for normal. So if you're not familiar with normal, it's a new startup brand uh, by Killian, Journey, and Camper. So my job is to basically build normal here in the US and bring it to life. So hopefully, you know, inspire all runners to, to try a pair and, and get out there. Uh, but I've been in the industry for about eight years, a lot of different roles from, you know, being a rep, um, brand manager, product line manager to now country manager. So. I've had a lot of really, really progressive success, and I'm super grateful for that. And yeah, happy to be here uh, to talk about the industry.
0: Maybe talk about some of the products you worked at, at Solomon, the previous brand that you were integral in working at over in Annecy, and some of the products that people are familiar with.
1: Yeah, so basically I worked on my first, first picture that I worked on was the UltraGlide. So I think a lot of a lot of your listeners and viewers might have tried it. So that was probably my, my first, first baby, as we call it in the industry. Uh, but I've worked on almost everything in trail running um, that Solomon's put out. That's still coming out now, actually. So even like Ride 5 that just came out, Ultra Glide 2, Pulsar Trail Pro 2, and actually everything until uh, 2024 I've had a hand on. So yeah, really amazing time with the team over at NC, really, really great you know, group of people and, and such a product driven you know company. So um, yeah, it was sad to go for sure, but you know, new opportunities come up and happy to to take all the, the learning with me to, yeah. to normal.
0: Yeah, very cool to see you land there at normal. And I want to sort of start our conversation by summarizing some of the moves that were made on the athlete side to start 2023. Uh, we'll have Corinne do more of the deep dive, but maybe Mike will let you get us started with the Alio Ostrander news. You and I spoke just as that news was coming out on on the telephone, and she was just a guest here on the podcast. And I think this is a great launching off point to just talk about some of the athlete moves that were made, some of the sort of like recruitment process. I don't think you were necessarily really involved in bringing, bringing Ali on with normal, but maybe let's just start there. What does it mean for a brand like yours an upstart trail specific brand to bring on someone like Ali Ostrander, who has so much talent, so much pedigree, and is also so interesting outside of running?
1: Well, I think I'm just like Allie, and, and I'll just use the word excited because I think that was the, the hot, hot word—the turkey game word that you guys shared on the podcast. But uh, super excited! I mean, she's an amazing talent, amazing person, and there's not really you know a better person that you bring on to represent the brand and our values, and and just to give her a, you know a platform to to be who she is and, and race to her fullest potential. So um, you know, I was really excited to hear that she was coming on when I when I joined Normal, and yeah, can't wait to see how how the future um, unfolds for her.
0: Kareen Malcolm. Oh boy. Hey, I don't know if there's anything you want to add to Allie, but the thing that I really wanted to sort of throw to you first is just sort of some of the athlete free agency. So maybe give us the top line on Allie and I'll share my screen for the free agency board here.
2: I mean, so I actually heard ahead of the announcement, not that she was going to normal, but that she was going to be on the golden trail series because back end of the golden trail series, every athlete racing on that, that circuit actually gets like a breakdown of who's going where and funds allocated to those athletes. Mm. And so I happened to be at training camp with teammate, new teammate, Danny Moreno, great free agent move, um, over to Adidas Terex. And she was like, you'll never guess who's on the golden trail series list this year. And I was like, I've completely blown away. Very, very excited. And so when the normal news came out, I was like, it all makes sense. This is, this is big. I think ever since seeing her run Mount marathon as like a just graduated senior in high school, um, to watching all of her success on the track, this feels really full circle for her. And I'm so excited to see her, you know, step into the mountains again and and step up in distance, which will be interesting. But, um, I mean, I think it's going to be really amazing to watch.
0: Yes. So Yeah, it's great to have Allie in the sport, and just so our viewers know, I've just pulled up my screen here, which is an amazing new feature of the fantasy.freetrail.com website that is all thanks to Travis Longcar. This is the 2023 Free Agency Board, the athlete movement that happened in trail running. So, Corinne, I want you to give us a little bit of a deep dive here, at least start with some of the biggest stories in terms of athletes leaving brands, joining new brands, and what it generally means.
2: Totally. So I don't think we were, I mean, right at the very top of your screen there is Allie Mack, who had probably one of the best, one of the best sub like seasons of anyone in the world, maybe next to Ninke. And I don't think anyone expected her to leave on. That seemed like a really solid place for her and a really solid team. So I think her Hoka news felt really, really huge. I think the craft news from like Arlen Glick and then Tim Tollefson and who's not on this list actually is um, Mimi. Oh no, there she is. Mimi, Mimi because on this list as well, like those three moves to craft felt like craft was really rounding out their team um, which felt like something that I was waiting to see from, from craft, from, from Nike, from Saucony, who's, you know, surprisingly not on this list actually of not taking on, new athletes. Um, so big moves by craft there. I felt like we had some Exodus from places like Solomon from places like Hoka both nationally here in the U S and internationally. Um, I think some of the, you know, one of the surprises actually was a Solomon to Hoka athlete in Judith wider, um, a orienteer by training, or I guess by kind of official trade has had a ton of success on the golden trail series. I thought that was an interesting move to Hoka. Um, what else was kind of some of the big stuff? Obviously Danny Moreno coming to Adidas Terex. There's one more runner coming to Adidas that I don't know has been announced yet um, internationally, which will be exciting when that news does come out. And then I think obviously the Camille Heron long tease, yep. right? The long tease of where was she going, leaving Hoka. Um, we now know that that is Lululemon and that that deal is predominantly based on apparel, apparel and community. They're all deemed kind of ambassadors to the sport. Um But, you know, can run in whatever she wants to, which I think is super, super interesting. And I do know that there are more athletes yet to announce um, from brands like Adidas Terex, from brands like Lululemon. Um, There might be some movement. Even we just had movement on the North Face side with Tara Fraga of Seattle announcing her move to the North Face. The North Face's biggest announcement this year was actually, I think, the launching of their athlete development program. Um, So Rod Farvard, who's on this list as signing with the North Face, he's part of that first ever um, 17-person athlete development program that is skiing, climbing, and trail running. So they brought in athletes from underrepresented populations and athletes who are kind of on the cusp as well. Um, So Laura Cortez is on that list from the U.S. Um, Helen Mino Faulkner, is on that list from the US. So there's some cool like new athletes who maybe haven't had that shine or support getting support via the North face this year. And then two people who should not be missed also on this list that I'm still staring at kind of out of the corner of my eye is Sarah Alonzo and Steon Angermund yeah. moving from Solomon to Asics. I think that was a huge move um, by Asics. Um, I think that's a huge win for them grabbing Sarah Alonzo. And I think while Steon kind of had a quiet season until Worlds last year, he's obviously abundantly talented. And so, excited to see, you know, if they're going to increase that stable or not over the next two seasons.
0: Yeah. I want to talk about ASICs here in a second, but let's linger on the Camille Heron Lululemon thing, because I think that's the biggest, biggest, biggest story of contract season (laughs) this year. Mike Lululemon is a seven and a half billion dollar a year jug or not of a business. And as Corinne said, this is going to be an apparel only type situation. They may or may not be trying to developed trail footwear that might be suitable for an athlete of Camille Heron's capabilities. But just for our listeners perspective, that's about three and a half times the size of the North face. Do you have any comments or uh, any top line takeaways from the fact that Lululemon has now entered the trail and ultra marathon game?
1: I think, I think it makes sense, you know, from their, from their perspective. I mean, they're kind of already, in it, you know, with, with outfitting runners, you know, for sure. Like, you, you know, you see it, you see it everywhere. It transcends, you know, every, every version of running and, and, you know, all types of active you know, lifestyles. So it makes a lot of sense. Um, they are, I know they are developing footwear and building footwear. So I actually have a good friend um, who's working on the team there uh, with Luluz. So they're definitely trying to get into footwear, but I'm not sure, you know, if highly, highly performance footwear and trail footwear, it's going to be a focus, but I mean, it's just like all these other brands, and I'm sure we'll talk about it. It's Just getting into getting into trail running, it's just it's a it's an opportunity that that everyone wants.
0: Yeah,
2: Corrine. and they, they and they've had track and field athletes like we like this is not the first news of them moving more into like the running performance space. They've got Nikki Hiltz um, and Colleen Quigley, um, as long along with a couple other athletes that came on in the last two years. So I think that like to me, it's not a big surprise. And, and as Mike mentioned, they've been outfitting people for. Forever, I mean, they are the the apparel outfitter for the Canadian national teams for mm-hmm. the Olympic Games. I've worked in the White Space Lab in Kitsilano at Lululemon headquarters during my graduate degree, working on like apparel science. Like they for being a quote unquote like yoga and like athleisure wear company like i've been in their climactic chamber i've run metabolic tests in their lab i've seen their wet lab where they're like trying to grow mold on pieces of like athletic material so you know for being a a yoga juggernaut they have all of the makings of um putting out really high level performance yeah. wear so i think that's super super cool
0: i mean for me it's just obvious now that nobody can ignore us right when brands like lululemon and nike and adidas are recognizing trail and putting forth concerted investment into developing new product and signing high-level athletes like camille it's a really exciting time corinne mike put on our shared doc a question that i think would be good for you you mentioned danny moreno signing to your team the adidas terex team and and mike was sort of talking about sort of like the scouting process of athletes, sort of what athletes consider in aligning themselves with brands and sort of what brands are looking for in a 21st century athlete. You can use Danny as an example if you want to, or if you just want to tackle that question in any other way that you see fit, I think the audience would really like it.
2: Yeah. And then we can tee Mike up because Mike, while he's worked on a lot of products, he's also been the person behind the scenes, IDing athletes. That's how I ended up at Solomon back in the day. It's how someone like Courtney started at Solomon back in the day. So clearly has an eye for
0: a potential. really Mike, you were yeah. the one cool.
1: who scouted Courtney? Well, it was, it was Adam Chase and I um, together at the time we worked on. And I think we had a list of athletes that we wanted to bring on the team. I think the end of 2016. And I still, I still brag about this class. It was Corinne, Addie Bracy, and Courtney came in on the same time. And it's still like, I, I just brag about it all the time. I, I call it the, the coordinating and Korean class, but yeah. yeah, that was, um, that was 20, 2016, 2017. I was a brand manager and stuff. So, um, yeah, well, take he's, yeah,
2: he's seen it. He's seen it from both sides though, which I think is an important, I think that's a really interesting perspective to bring into like the product development and like full team holistic approach side. But yeah, the, the scouting of athletes is interesting. I feel like as a professional athlete, And as someone involved with a big professional team, I also spend a lot of my time like talking to athletes that are looking to move brands. Um, I joke that I'm kind of like a, I feel like I'm a fixer in the sport a little bit. Like while I have my own contract, I spend a lot of time helping athletes communicate with our brand manager, with other brand managers, with like helping people solve the puzzles of like, Hey, we need another woman. Like who should we approach? Or, Hey, we're looking for someone in this space. Who should we approach? Like I spend a lot of time navigating that, that space as an unofficial, uh, agent of sorts. But I do think that it's interesting because if I look at teams and I look at teams like Adidas who are approaching it really holistically, like, yes, they're kind of looking to fill certain categories as far as like, Ooh, we've got women and men racing in the ultra endurance. And then we've got this kind of middle, middle ultra space. And then we've got this, you know, short distance ultra and sub ultra spaces and making sure they're like, ticking the boxes there and performance is important, but at the same time, like our team manager has come back to us every single time and said, hey, we're looking at so-and-so. Like, what do you think? What do you know? Like, have you talked to them? Do you, like, is this a person that you would want to like bring into the fold? And there there are definitely probably downsides of that as in like, you know, friends hiring friends, so to speak, but also like they're looking for team cohesion and they're looking for kind of the weighing the pros and cons of decisions. And asking the athletes about that, I think wall creates a barrier at times also creates this like kind of like multi, like a a more multifactorial approach to like bringing an athlete onto the team. And it's not, I mean, the reason I got the call from Rob to even chat about Adidas was because, um, I had what I had done biathlon, like, and I was currently coaching junior skiers and like, he like, they like, that was engaging enough for him to want to have a conversation with me. It wasn't like my ultra performances that I was like trying to grow. It was the like, oh, she does this and this and this, like, that's really interesting. We don't have someone doing those things. Like this is her story. And I think that that is part of that scouting process, both for like young athletes and then athletes that are looking to move potentially between brands, which is like a whole nother puzzle of rebranding people.
0: It's just like any other career, right? The endorsement of your co-workers your peers. and your peers is really valuable. I recall when I signed with the North Face many years ago, it was on the recommendation of Mike Foote, Mike Wolf, Tim Olson, Stephanie Howe. And so mm-hmm. just like anything else, it pays to cultivate, maintain great relationships and make sure that you have a good reputation in your community. I want to come yeah. back and talk more about Adidas here in a little bit, but going back to what we were talking about with ASICS, one of the themes of our conversation here tonight is going to be between performance brands and outdoor brands, right? And Mike, maybe this is a great space for you. I pulled a quote out of an article that I'll reference here a number of times. It was published last week in the business of fashion that identified trail running as active wear's next big category. And there was a quote in the article that says, for Japanese sportswear giant A6, Trail accounts for one of its fastest growing performance categories in terms of sales with an average annual growth rate of 10% over the past three years. So, Mike, with that being said, you know, from your perspective as a brand guy, when performance is sort of like in the DNA, like a brand like A6, how hard is it to then translate that authentically into more outdoor-oriented product, footwear, apparel, etc.?
1: I think if it's I think if it's rooted in authenticity, like you said, and that performance, it's really not that hard to do it. I think it's hard when you don't come from a from a place of authenticity. If you're trying to just you know fake it or just play in that space, because it just is an opportunity. But when you come at it with a really rich history of performance and technology, that kind of just really plays into you know other arenas as well, and especially into outdoor and into lifestyle as well. Because yeah, there's so much so much time and craftsmanship put into these products for a different use, but it translates, you know, that storytelling and and aesthetic and, and the tech, you know, putting it all together, really, really brings something special to life and into these other arenas, especially when there's new consumers entering the market and, you know, people from other, you know, other backgrounds, you know, like now trail runners weren't just, you know, trail running is really cool too in a sense, because it's always attracting people from other backgrounds. It always, it's not just, you know, collegiate runners that are looking to do something else right you get bartenders you get musicians you get just people who fall into it late in life so i think you know when you have that 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 really core authenticity it really yields itself to being successful in in other areas
2: it's also protective in the market right now i want to say just like looking at how like ad dollars are being spent and marketing revenue and like where marketing freezes are happening i mean we're seeing marketing dollars be cut in like the ski sector and in the site like the cycling sector is actually having some big issues, whereas trail and, and running hasn't had the same impact with marketing dollars in part because it's, it is it uh, is a little bit inflation protected, a little bit like it doesn't have such like the financial component of it for someone for that bartender falling into it later in life for that, you know, the, that individual who's in their 40s, who's picking up their first pair of running shoes. It's not quite the same barrier to entry as owning a gravel bike or yep. a Icon Pass to go skiing. So I yeah. think that we are surviving, surviving yeah. better in like a recession. Yeah, but
0: there will eventually be an exhalation from the market, just like there has <laughs> been a number of times across every other sport. We are just still very much in this maturation phase where now all these brands are flooding into the sport. And of course there will be a correction to that overcorrection at some point, but right now we will... <laughs> Take it while it's here. Corinne, piggybacking off this like subject of authenticity and performance brands versus outdoor brands, it's another great opportunity to talk about Adidas, one of the most iconic performance brands in the history of the world, but they seem to have been able to really cultivate that authenticity in the outdoor space in particular. And part of that is maybe because of the Terex sub brand. So maybe if you could explain a little bit how... Terex and the mother Adidas brand fit together for the audience. How they actually
2: fit together? Yeah. They, they, They do and yet they're kind of separate entities. Like they function separately. They have the protection of being part of a bigger brand, but they otherwise operationally Work particularly like on the European, like the global headquarters side, they, they operate separately in North America, like are, they're all under one, one hub in Portland together, like people who are working on more, more broad Adidas stuff and, and the Tarek side are all hubbed together, which is interesting when it comes to like a communications standpoint, but globally, Tarek's gets to operate under its own its own like umbrella, its own designers, its own, I mean, it does have problems though. Cause it's like, Oh, we want to like make this shoe, just put some trail tread on it. Well, they have to kind of oftentimes reinvent the wheel to make that happen because they do operate separately in that regard. But the history with Adidas is that they've, they've always kind of had their foot in the outdoor space. Um, like the I think the lines that you think of, of like, Adidas originals and all that kind of stuff, like, that was almost secondary to, like, their historical implications of operating more in that traditional outdoor space alongside skiing and hiking. Um, That is, like, an ethos at their core, I think, that they, like, have come back to as opposed to, like, have had to reinvent.
0: Mike, anything you want to add there about Adidas in particular or this outdoor meets performance conversation?
1: You know, I think it's I think it's going to be interesting, uh, especially you know, seeing trail running as a sport evolve. Uh, you know, especially the last year, seeing a lot of these records you know that are constantly being broken. You know, and and you know, some of the most fabled records in our sport have been have been have been going down. And I think bringing the, the performance brand mentality, like the Nike or Adidas, to trail running to see how how does that play in in outdoor. You know, in regards to like a super shoe or even just like funding some 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 crazy ideas and some crazy projects as well because you know Nike's I think 37 billion right I mean Lululemon's 7 billion we're talking four or five times the size in billions you know it's not just like dollars and thousands um so I think we're just seeing yeah more technology more support marketing more crazy stuff coming I think yeah we're just we're not even we're not even touching the surface yet to what's going to come so
2: Yeah. From the the athlete standpoint, like for companies like Nike or Adidas, it does allow athletes to kind of double dip. Um, I don't know that any of the, uh, my Adidas teammates in the U S are doing this, but I know internationally where, um, they might be supported by Adidas Spain or uh, as well as Adidas Terex global. Mm. And so they they're tying into Adidas, like Adidas women and that kind of thing. So there's kind of some secondary Deals where you're, where it's, you know, you're technically in one stable, but you're still under the same house, and so it allows them to do work on campaigns, and um, and work within the marketing house that's much larger than just like the Terex side or the Nike Trail side of a company.
0: Yeah. So another theme I want to talk about tonight is sort of the incumbents versus the disruptors in the business right now. And I think, Mike, you guys at Normal very much represent the disruptive category here as a small startup with a lot of upside. You, of course, also have a lot of experience working at Solomon, one of the most iconic outdoor brands. Ever, can you just explain maybe the difference between working within that large organization at Solomon with so much tradition versus working in a startup environment like normal?
1: Yeah, it's it's completely different. Um, you know, Solomon's a, a super powerful you know freight train that's just going you know super fast with a lot of momentum, a lot of strength, but maybe not always the most agile. And in, in a lot of ways, I mean, it's it's a company that's got I mean, they put out great products, great content, you know. No doubt, one of the greatest brands in the in, in the industry, but not super flexible and agile. And and you know, with the startup like at normal, we're we we do not have as much momentum. We have a lot of hype, but we're almost like like a light rail. You know, we can be quick and agile and change direction real quickly, and, real quickly, and 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 you know, get feedback from the market and from the user and and apply that you know to products or to campaigns and stuff like that. So, I think that's that's probably the best analogy, you know, and at the same time too, you know, we're, we're challengers, you know, we know what we're going into. We know the space. Uh, we know that, you know, we know the great products that are out there. It's not like we're going to a market that there isn't you know, great products or great athletes. You know, it's a, it's a really, really competitive space, but, you know, we're just hoping that we can, you know, improve the runner's experience and, and bring a new innovative concept uh, to the market. So yeah, it's definitely, you know, it's definitely going to be a challenge, but, uh, super, super excited for it.
0: You mentioned the content piece and it makes me want to ask about Solomon running TV because that was sort of in the era that you were working at the brand seven, eight years ago. And it was so influential in the sport at that time and really did help to accelerate a lot of this growth that we've been experiencing. I know at normal now you guys are emphasizing storytelling in a big way, obviously identifying somebody like Ali Ostrander is an extension of that as somebody who's a storyteller and a content creator herself. Do you want to talk at all about maybe the marketing and how things have changed and how owning your own story is important for brands in the 21st century?
1: Yeah, I think it's important. You know, there's, there's so much content out there, so much media. There's you can go everywhere into any brand for inspiration. But I think, you know, by by telling your story, making it unique and being, being true to yourself is, is just the best way best way to communicate. And the reality is, you know, users and consumers of media are going to see through it, right? They're, if they're, gonna, they're either going to connect to it or not. And I think one of the great things about trail running is it's really brought a lot of content to the space, but it's not all engaging. It's not all inspiring. So I think, you know, one thing at Normal we're going to try to do is really, I don't know, it's kind of, go back to what connects runners to each other and to the environment, to the sport and, you know, bringing in the athletes and the stories that just, just provide that, you know, inspiration. And just, does this feel good, you know, feels that you, you used to get from the trail dog from Solomon TV, you know, for example, or, or, you know, you know, build duper, you know, iconic <laughs> pieces of
0: trail running content. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know what, those were so great because they just made you feel really good and it made you want to go out there and put on a pair of shoes. I think it was actually, it was a Solomon TV episode that I watched that made me go out and buy my first pair of Solomons in, in 2012, you know, and then, you know, 10 years later, here I am, you know, working with one of my heroes um, in Kilianna, you know, from Solomon, from a different TV episode. So I think it's just going to be really important to to be authentic and, and be true to true to the sport and, and tr- true to the runner. And, and I think that's just the, the best way you can do it you know, in 2023 and going forward.
0: Yeah. Transitioning from a small independent brand and normal, Corinne, you put something on our shared doc that I think is really interesting and relevant to our conversation here. Two brands that don't necessarily have a big trail presence, but who are very much, you know, proud, established, running industry apparel brands, that being Genji and Wazell merging. I think that news was announced last week or the week before. What do you want to say about that merger, Corinne?
2: Yeah. I thought it was super interesting. And it, at first I was like super confused as to like how they were going to be merged, merging. Like I love John G's, like their materials and their patterns and like are so cool and interesting. And Wazelle is this like staple in like the women's running community. They're here in Seattle where I live. Um, I've had a lot of talks with Sarah and Sally over the years about various things. So I think that, that like, they're both like, they both have really strong communities that support them, but they're both relatively small businesses. Um, when we've been talking about companies that are worth billions and billions of dollars, that is not, you know, the John G and and Wazell company. And to see them have like formed their own like legal merger was, I thought one, very curious and two, very exciting because it does mean that they're being progressive and forward thinking in the ways that they want to stay autonomous and, um, a lot of companies, right, they want to get bought out, like getting bought out is a dream because then it's like, okay, like my money is safe now. I, like as a founder, I can get out or I'm not out, but I like my money is safe. Um, so I know that that is a goal of a lot of companies is, is to eventually get bought. Um, it's a big payday for everyone. But I think this merger symbolizes them not wanting that and to want to keep their autonomy, but to be able to utilize each other's resources, Um that They wouldn't have access to as these two independent things. So I thought it was I thought it was one very creative. Um, There are probably examples of it in other businesses, but for me in this running space with these like medium sized running brands, they're obviously much smaller brands and much much larger brands. But to see these two medium groups not get bought out by like an Amersport or a VF, where you know that like those are beneficial but has hiccups and hangups, um, I thought was really cool. So I'm very excited to see. what it allows them to do, and what was like what was limiting to them before.
0: Yeah, Mike. Anything you want to say on this merger? Like, what the benefit is to staying independent and and sort of combining forces? Is it like shared resources, shared capital, shared employees? Maybe. What's the benefit here? Do you think?
1: I think yeah, shared resources, shared talent. Um, you know, any business at scale needs more resources and. I think when you combine forces like that, it, it definitely takes the edge off of, of some of those growing pains and, and trying to scale when you can kind of, you know, tag team, you know, distribution or, or supply chain and maybe even factories, I'm not sure all the details of it, but maybe they, can, you know, source stuff together. Um, you know, from working for a really big company uh, armor sports, you know, with Solomon, you know, the, the plus of it is that it's, it's a big company, a ton of resources. You know, you can, you can do a lot, you know, you have a lot and you have a lot of just, lot of great talent that's there and, and you can hire it and you can you know, distribute all over the world and you can really gain a lot of growth pretty quickly. But, you know, like I was saying earlier, you're not super agile and then you also have a lot of, you know, financial targets you have to answer to and and profitability becomes, you know, what you talk about every day, for mm-hmm. sure. You know, like at, at normal, for sure, we care about profitability, but it is smaller now. I mean, of course, we're, we're a business, but um, we could be, we could be more flexible, more agile and and, and kind of take our time to things to, you know, we can be a little bit more patient when it comes to the financial side.
2: Yeah. There's a really great question
0: in the chat that I want
2: is to highlight.
1: It, is it Cody's?
2: Well, Cody's is great, but Riley Tiff's is also really interesting and kind of merges into like that GORP core like side of the sport a little bit. So we could hit on that. The question was Do you see any tension between trail running as active wear category and trail running as a sport, i.e., growth in one aspect is not mutually exclusive with growth, growth in the other? just kind of curious about that. Like, I know that that's like, Can, I think a very astute let, question. Let's
0: save that one for the end, because okay. uh, that sort of comes to sort of like the culture meets sport conversation, which... Riley, we'll I, get to you. Yeah, you we'll get tight. to you, Riley. But but first, I think Cody's question is really great, too. And, and what he's asking, and I think this is great for you, Mike and Corinne, feel free to chime in, is sort of like, how do brands evaluate return on investment with athletes? You know, it's mm-hmm. obviously not necessarily easy to measure the return that you're getting off somebody like like Ali Strand or Killing is maybe a different story as a co-founder of the brand, but anything you can share about how you evaluate those investments and how you make sure that it is in the best interest of both the brand and the athlete to stick together.
1: Yeah. I mean, if just for you know, pure metrics and, you know, numbers, you can definitely look at um, likes, shares, impressions, you know, different ways that athletes that you've invested in are, are having impact, you know, to, to consumers. You can look at <clears throat> anything, you have know, social media to print and, and kind of go off of that visibility, you know, in a lot, you know, a UT, UTM podium or a live stream or something like that. But um, I think, I, I think what's important is also just kind of, like, you know, do what's, doing what's right for the sport and for the athlete and, and for, and for the community there's not really a metric to define that, you know, what is you know what is sports marketing, but I think it's it's just an important it's an important way to to demonstrate your commitment to progressing the sport and and certain athletes and and also you know giving them ways to achieve their goals and dreams and and to inspire others. You know, I think there's yeah, you know, it is really hard to say. You know, I every every time I, I worked in a brand management role, this was always something that came up, and you know, you, you tend to, to ter- tend to cherry pick. Likes and shares and stuff like that, but you know the, the one thing that I used to always share when it was time to, to summarize the athletes was I have, I have a picture of Courtney um, at some local for um, race, you know, and um, these three little girls are coming up to her, and you know Courtney bent over and and just like you know just talking to these, these three girls and they're like we want to be like you when we get older, you know, my mom loves you, and I mean that's that's the important stuff, and you know that's that's what's happening, and you know you you have the right athletes and you know, you, you, know, that they're, they're good for the brand. They're good for the community. It's it just, it'll, it'll pay for itself. You know, you just have to have a little faith in it, but you know, the business guy in me is going to say, you know, for sure there's, there's metrics we can look at, but I think it's the, I don't know, the intangible stuff too, that, you know, is happening. And that picture of Courtney to me is to me will always kind of cherish sports marketing in my heart because that's, that's why you do it. And um, yeah. So, Metrics are tough. It's, you know, do you, do athletes sell more shoes? You no, know, it's, it's hard to say. Yeah. Um, yeah.
2: Corinne, maybe this probably is probably minutely. Right. It's like, yeah. I was going to say to, to that point where it's like, you know, particularly with brands that might not be in like your local running store or, I mean, REI is great. REI brought on like 40 brands or something. So it's a lot easier to try on stuff locally for folks, but it's like, Allie will sell shoes because someone might need a trail runner and they'll be like, Oh, Allie's running in this or like I've got friends who are now running in like our speed ultra because they know that I run in it, et cetera. And like, they wouldn't have tried it before because they wouldn't have been able to try it on or, and I think, you know, brands like Puma who want to come into this space, that's like their biggest issue, their biggest hurdles that like they're not in brick and mortar stores, that like they're predominantly on, online and it's mm-hmm. hard to try a shoe uh, just by ordering it and taking the leap. So Um, I think that's where the athletes do play a role is like, Oh, this shoe works for them. Like, Oh, I might try it now. It's mostly because like, I know the person I trust the person versus them being the best in the world.
0: It makes me want to talk a little bit about this team concept too. And what I'm thinking about is back when you and I were together at black Canyon, Corinne, and just being so impressed with how Adidas travels. And I'm always, when I'm at these events, constantly downloading who's wearing what and how brands are activating. And I think Terex is really like dominating the physical presence at a lot of these high profile races. And there's always that palpable sense of support and friendship and team among your group. Maybe if you could talk about how that feeling of team is engendered from a brand level and how that trickles through the athlete ranks.
2: Yeah. It's kind of the, the guerrilla marketing format, right. Where we just like appear places. Um, But no, so I think that what, like what you're speaking to is like, we've been very, um, I guess like calculated in a team calendar and you're not required to go to every team event. You're not required to have a team event be your feature event for the year, but it's encouraged to, to try to, try to be at some of these things. Um, and truthfully, like you, you want to be there. Like you definitely get some FOMO when you're not like, it definitely kind of sucks. Um, but I do think that like, it's palpable, like people remember us and, you know, this is why we've got a team kit and a team color for the year and we show up in the right color. And I thought that was super stupid initially like I was like I showed up with the wrong stuff because I like purple but this year's color that year's color was blue or neon green or whatever and I was put in a different jacket but like the the images you get from that are really strong when you see this like unified group of human beings and like people remember like 30 of us chasing Emily Hoggood, like the two kilometers into Chamonix when she was finishing UTMB she was our last runner out on course like we saw her by our Airbnb, we chased her like to the next intersection, we chased her to the next intersection. And then there were like 20 of us in our neon green jackets, just like mobbing through, you know, downtown Chamonix to welcoming, welcome her to the finish. And it's like, you know, I think that that, you know, probably wasn't her favorite result ever, as far as performances go, but like having that team aspect and that team environment, like carries you along. I think like it, it creates memories for us, but it creates like memorable moments in the community more broadly too, which I think isn't a very, which I think is a very effective marketing strategy. And it's also like, I think why I want to be part of the team and like why someone like Danny wanted to be part of the team was like that, that, that level of support is not a tangible, like this is your retainer and this is your bonus structure. Like there's a, a different aspect of creating that team environment, which is like probably hard to measure and hard to understand. It's like full um, return on investment values.
0: It also, I think, helps Adidas feel authentic in the outdoor space. And and maybe Mike, this is a good opportunity Mm -hmm. to talk a little bit more about normal and obviously that authenticity needs to also be reflected in the product in order for the company to have a shot at surviving. Of course, Killian Jornet, as we've mentioned, is one of the founders of the brand. But if you want to provide any visual into how you guys integrate the athletes, the feedback, the general, you know, conversations that you have with the team into the products that you create and more generally into the philosophy and ethos and feeling of the brand.
1: Yeah, one thing that's really cool at, at, at Normal is, you know, athletes are, are super involved in, in all, all feedback of of the product, but also the company too. And to think outside the box, you know, so the double-ended normal stands for no normal. So basically not doing things in a normal way, thinking outside the box, being creative and, and being disruptive and, and innovative at the same time. So, um, you know, when it comes to potential business models or ways to to sell a product or types of products you could sell, it's. It's really, it's a, it's a, it's a full um, full 360 experience the athletes have with, you know, with the brand, which is, which is super cool. You know, at other brands I've worked, athletes aren't really commenting on, you know, what an e-commerce model could look like or ways to win in the community, but really taking all that feedback. Um, and of course, on top of, you know, I didn't like the way this fit, or this could be more cushioned, or this could be, could be softer. So, um, and what's really cool too is, you know, not only the athletes, but everyone who works in the company's. Really, really committed to the company's values, and the, the big value is the sustainability and doing things, um, doing things that are right, you know, now and for the future of you know of our planet. So, uh, you know, one, you know, one aspect of that is durability. So, making really, really durable products that last longer, so you're putting less shoes in, in landfills and taking a, a little bit of a different approach. You know, to this point, and I was even part of this. We were making products that had recycled materials or could have been fully recycled, and that's great. But if they only last like one third or one fourth of the life, you're just putting more shoes into landfills. And a lot of times if you're making a shoe that's fully recyclable or has, if it's fully recyclable, it's usually virgin based petroleum that's going into them. So you're using a lot of new resources to create something that you hopefully will get recycled. So, Mm. um, you know, durability is an interesting thing in our shoes where we don't use a lot of recycled materials, but they last a really long time. And, you know, you don't have to buy, three shoes by one shoe. And they're also incredibly versatile. So, um, yeah, it's kind of just, you know, being, you know, and every, and this is the, the mantra for everyone in the company, you know, and we don't have a printer in the office, for example, you know, cause we're not going to waste uh, paper, you know? So I think it's just, it's everyone in the company sharing the same values and, and the same goals that, that really make it special.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Karina, is there anything That's you so want to cool. add there? I, I think the ba- main takeaway for me there is like, you know, the athletes have to embody the values and the mission of the brand too. And that's part of going back to an earlier conversation we were having about how brands identify scout and recruit the athletes who end up on their team is there does have to be an alignment between the personality and the brand values.
2: Yeah. I don't think I have anything to add to that. I just, I think it's really cool to watch companies like have these ethos. I think all of us, when we like heard that Killian was leaving Solomon, you're like, what is this about? Like, I think there was a question mark of like, is he going to start his own thing or is he like going to go play in the mountains in the Himalaya? Like, I think that was kind of the, like, we weren't sure which way that was going to go to, so to see, and, and knowing how expensive designing and developing and producing like a single size in a single run of shoes is like, to me, I was like, Ooh, like this will be really interesting yeah. from a financial perspective. So to see it, get off the ground and to see the initial success to me is, is really exciting. I mean, obviously when you have a name like Killian, um, that goes a long way, Sure, but I do think that, you know, knowing how hard it is to make shoes, watching, watching companies try to make, um, to make running shoes, watching big companies try to make running shoes. Um, I know how hard that is. And so it's been really, it's been really interesting to see that kind of evolve and, Watch the team grow. So the ethos, mission behind it's all. All I think it like sings true across a it.
0: No doubt. So let's start moving towards this culture conversation because this will be super fun. Uh, another data pay point uh, that was articulated in the article that I talked about earlier in our conversation that I put at the top of the chat here was that Xenia had bought a minority position in Norda, a very new upstart Canadian trail-specific footwear brand. So the iconic Italian fashion house Xenia is now buying their way into the trail running market, competing you know, now against Nike and Adidas and Lululemon and Gore-Core, and then North Face, Solomon and then you know Speedland and the uh, the other and normal and the other upstarts that are coming into the space now too. So, it's really I think a fascinating time, Mike. Maybe this is a, a good opportunity. You were mentioning earlier about you know Campers' roots. I don't know if you want to mention that and the relationship with Normal and how that benefits what you guys are working on, or if you want to comment at all on the Zenia norda partnership. But I think this is a fun avenue of conversation.
1: Yeah, I think I saw something in the chat too about Camper and Normal. So uh, Camper is a Spanish um, shoe company based in Mallorca. So the wonderful trail running paradise, that's Mallorca. Uh, that's where they were founded and um, basically in partnership with Killian, Normal was, was born. So Camper is still, still heavily involved. Uh, we share a lot of the same resources, like I mentioned earlier. You know, one of the major pluses with these mergers these joint ventures is, is just resources. So Camper's been making shoes for a really long time and, you know, has a rich history in, in shoemaking. So, you know, the shoes that you see today from Normal, you know, the reason they were able to be you know, put together so quickly in such a high-quality way is there's shoemakers, you know, in Mallorca making shoes and then you know, just throwing a little bit of Killian in there and you've got some pretty, pretty kick-ass trail running shoes, but, um, it's still, you know, it's owned by, it's owned by Camper. They're the majority, um, stakeholder in the company, but, um, so it's just kind of the easy way, I guess, to understand it. It's kind of the, the trail run outdoor performance division of, of Camper. So yeah, still heavily involved. You know, we share a lot of resources, uh, even on the design development side, uh, lasting, you know, the actual shaping of a shoe. Um, so that's, that's, that's kind of the relationship with, with camper and, and they've been really supportive and super, super excited to, to see where it's, see where this goes. So, um, and then, yeah, you know, seeing Xenia get involved with Norda, it's Norda is such an interesting brand because they came in, you know, like I was saying, like with a really strong, you know, performance, you know, background there's a lot of you know interesting technology. There is Vibram and, and, you know, it was a really high performance product, but it also was pretty captivating from a, a corp core uh, lifestyle standpoint too, you know, the colorways and the way you could kind of color block it and it was kind of chunky and big and the silhouettes were modern. So it really played well in, in some of those, um, you know, international scenes too, like, you know, especially Milan. I think they had a huge presence in Milan, which is, I think where Zane is from, but um, yeah, it was just kind of rooted in, in performance and it looked really cool. And you know, if you go on the website, the website's super cool. The imagery nice. So it's, it just makes a lot of sense, like you were saying earlier, too, with, with opportunity. Like, let's just go get it.
0: Define the GORP core thing for our listeners, because this is a new <laughs> word in my vocabulary. Dylan had to Google it <laughs> yesterday.
1: Yeah. So, it, so I guess if I could just I could just paint you a picture really quick. Um, it be like a North Face, nubsy Jackets with... Artarex Pants. It. Arteryx pants, maybe Valence Arterix pants, um, Salomon XT6s, um, probably a pair of Oakleys now too because they're, they're super popular. Um, and then probably a Sealy hat could be thrown in there or an ACG, Nike ACG hat on top. And it's kind of this it's this silhouette of looking like you're ready to go into the outdoors or your lifestyle is an extension of what you like to do. Um, so it's, yeah, outdoor, outdoor chic. You can also kind of classify it as uh, but it's, I mean, it's huge. You know, the first the first trend that came from came from Japan, I think, and then it went into, into Paris and London, and came to the U.S. And yeah, all of our, all the brands that we know and love are, are playing in this space now. It's, it's pretty fun to watch.
0: It's so fascinating. It makes me want to just add an anecdote that I heard on a podcast recently with a guy who worked on the Nike ACG brand. And for those who are unfamiliar, ACG was Nike's foray into the outdoor category this is probably back in the 90s and he was talking about sort of the trouble that they were having in figuring out the brand's place in outdoor. And this guy who was working at a branding agency identified it's the swoosh that's the problem because it it's it signifies victory and it signifies super high performance and that's all that matters, right? But in outdoor, that's not it, you know? It, it's about the feeling, it's about the vibe. And so they fixed up the ACG logo and ended up making a lot of iconic products. Um, anyway, so hip. Yeah. So, so, so hip. Speaking of hip, you know, let's talk about pop culture stuff as we move towards talking, you know, specifically addressing Riley's comment here. Um, Recently in the Super Bowl, Rihanna was rocking a pair of Solomons on stage. Mike, you were mentioning that you worked on that platform back in your Solomon days. Maybe just talk a little bit about that Gorpcore moment and, and what that means for a brand when you have that type of exposure on that stage. Yes,
1: yeah, so this is this is where the, the worlds really collide. So at, at Solomon, I was, I was working on all the performance trail running stuff and you know, the, the sports style and lifestyle team, you know, they, they sat right across, you know, the office for me. And a lot of times they would want to see what we're working on and then they would take it and then, you know, put it into a, you know, iconic, you know, fashion type development, you know, process. And so like, you know, the, the Rihanna shoe, like, you know, the bottom half of the shoe is a performance shoe. know it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a cross, you know, speed cross inspired bottom unit. So the whole bottom of the shoe is, is rooted in one of the most iconic, you know, trail running shoes there is. And then, you know, the upper is this kind of, you know, kind of crazy gator and, and lifestyle stuff. So, you know, it's it's interesting. You know, I, I wasn't necessarily working on on the lifestyle product, but you know, what was coming in performance just kind of fed right into to the other side of it. And it's pretty cool if you look at a lot of the shoes. They all have these like really high performance elements to them, but then little twists with color blocking or materials or or gators and, and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of it's a really great example of these worlds coming together and like kind of living harmoniously. I think everyone was, you know, a little bit scared of like going into fashion or even you know, trail runners out here on the trail, like, oh, but they're they're just like a fashion brand or you know, they're not authentic and stuff. But but now we're seeing that we can all, you know, we can all get along and you know we all win if, if everyone's you know inspired by the outdoors. So you can take that however you want, but I, I think it's I think it's super cool.
0: So, so cool. So Corinne, maybe we'll tee you up with Riley's question. And just to restate it here for the audience, let me find it here. Uh, Riley says, do you see any tension between trail running as a quote, active wear category and trail running as a sport growth in one aspect is not mutually exclusive with growth in the other, but I am curious
2: yeah, I don't know that I have all the answers on this one as far as like, you know, being being an athlete in the mix or being someone who's working on the media side of things in, in the mix there. I do think that more eyes in on like this sector, this niche, you know, quote unquote niche sport, um, the better more eyes means. More dollars, which generally speaking, does have a trickle down effect. Obviously, not all of it comes down to the athletes or to the to the um, the, the media, et cetera. But I do think that um, greater exposure to a wider population base grows the sport, grows people connecting with the outdoors, as Mike just mentioned. I think that's huge, right? Like, it can be really easy. I remember having this discussion with someone. I think it was like during the pandemic when like our trailheads were closed in San Francisco, like you weren't supposed to drive to a trailhead. Um, and someone, you know, kind of, kind of, you know, it was like, oh, like, it's just people from the city ruining this from all of us. And I was like, no, 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 like, you're not in, like, you're not stuck in traffic, you are traffic, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and getting to the point where you're like, oh, well, they just want to be out here enjoying and experiencing the same things that I enjoy and experience the same hardship of like living in any mountain town, right? Where it's like, you can get pissed that everyone and their mom is moving to Bozeman, Montana, but like, you also live in Bozeman, Montana. Like, it's like, you can't be upset that people want the same things that you want. And so I think that like that tension, right. And I, I think that tension speaks more to the authenticity question of the like, um, like Zara is dropping like a line of running and trail running and trail running apparel, I believe. And they're like a fast fashion house and like, okay, so is the tension there, the authenticity piece of the puzzle and like does it like what what matters to us is it the fast fashion piece and we would want we we as a community value sustainability and environmental impacts therefore we expect x y and z in our apparel and footwear like so i think the tension there is is oftentimes authenticity in my mind obviously you could you could like take this question any matter of directions but to me like that's where my brain goes is the is that tension in a lot of this space is about authenticity but we all value like we all we all value we all gain from greater exposure of our sport to a wider audience yeah.
0: this is great so mike let me tee you up with this because i think what corinne is getting at and that all brands want to achieve because human beings are signaling social creatures right when you go to the coffee shop And you see somebody in a free trail hoodie, you know, that's a trail person. Same with somebody who's rocking a normal hat, like that's a trail runner right there. If you see somebody rocking Zara's new trail running capsule at the coffee shop, you have no idea if that person is like sort of in that community. And I think brands in a lot of ways play that role in society of just like identifying Ignoring. who you are in the community that you belong to. And I think normal is a great example of this because you guys have made trail running your core differentiator, your core wedge to be a brand. Like you're not trying to play in the road space. Any comments there on sort of mixing culture, community, and product? Identity. Yeah, like identity. identity. Yeah.
1: I think, you know, I, I really like, you know, we, you said about if you see someone in a coffee shop and you know if they have a free trail hoodie or normal hat then that's a great you know signal and representation and a way for them to express themselves i think i think we've seen it in you know in in surfing and skateboarding as well over over time where it's it's a way for people you know kind of communicate about themselves and and what they like to do and and um and who they are you know at normal yeah i think one thing that's really really important for us is is to stay true to who we are and who we are to the sport. And, you know, one thing I think that's interesting about that too is, you know, being true to our sport also means we have to be true to the wild places that we like to be in and into our planet, right? Like, that's that's a cool thing about the brand normal. I know, like, why I'm proud to to wear this hat and, and talk to you on this podcast is that it's a brand that really reflects my values and and who I am and, and you know, what I really believe in. Like, you know, I've been saying this for, for a long time to my, my friends in Chamonix, but it's like, we shouldn't be trail running in, in February, and March, you know, we shouldn't be trail running in, in December. Like it's, should be the campaign, right? Like no more trail running in these winter months, but the reality is the world's changing. The planet's changing. And, and I think it's all our our, our collective responsibility to do something, but I, I really am proud that, you know, by wearing this, you know, this normal cap that it, it signals that we're trying to do things, you know, minimize the risk, minimize the errors and, and the impact on, on the environment. So Love yeah, it. I think it's,
0: yeah. Love it. So, clumsy transition here, but we have to get to this before we sign off. Do it's, it. it's something that Mike and I talked about the other day, and that is another Solomon product, the XT Trail Shoes. And I've got it up here on my computer. So, I'm going to share my screen and ask Mike to just provide a a little comment on the history of this product, where it's been, and the significance in the culture at this point.
1: Gosh, you know what, um. This is, this is a crazy shoe. I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a total shoe geek, so I can geek out on this all the time, but if you have any real trail running crazy super fans, which I'm sure you do, find uh, old pictures of Francois and Frosty and maybe Michel Long, maybe, maybe, but go back in like the 2010, 2011, 2012 era, and you'll see them all with this, basically the bottom half of the shoe or or this shoe. And what's super cool is this shoe was designed to, to win UTMB uh, and to be like the premier, um, you know, trail running shoe in the Alps. And, and it was, I mean, it, this thing was unprecedented in what it could do, you know, big lugs, chassis system, and, you know, all of those things that made it this, this beast in the Alps, you know, um, is what also made it a really, you know, cool sneaker um, to, to put it one way. So, you know, you could, it was kind of chunky, it was overbuilt, it color block it a bunch of different ways. And so you have a shoe that was, you know, designed to an UTMB, and then, it ends up winning GQ Sneaker of the Year. And I think it goes back to that authenticity and and performance, right? It was, it was this kick-ass mountain racer shoe. And, and, you know, it's crazy because that bottom Francois used that bottom of the shoe for, for a really long time with a different upper, because it was such a, such a beast, but um, it's really wild to see this, this shoe, you know, come to life and be, you know, worn by Bella Deed and and Rihanna on her birthday. I remember Rihanna on her birthday in 2018 had a pair on and and you know what I did? I went out and got myself a pair. You know, I'm like, you know, I, I, fine. I'm, I'm gonna get I'll get myself a <laughs> life stopper. And it's cool. My my buddy is the lawyer uh, in Alaska right now. He's a, he's a public defender. He sent me a picture today. He's running a pair of eight, XT6 in court, um, which is also just wild. But um, yeah, you know, it's, Personal. it's cool. It's just, <laughs> <laughs> Much swag. Yeah.
0: But it's funny. I I mean, it's amazing, right? I mean, like, it's the shoe that wins UTMB, then wins GQ Sneaker Sneaker of the Year a decade later, and they make it in 18 different colorways now, and they're probably selling tons of these things, and it started in trail running. Best sport ever. Um I want to close with a a quote here that I've pulled out of the article that I think encapsulates our whole conversation. But before I do that, do you guys have any closing thoughts that uh, are top of mind that you want to leave our audience with before we sign off?
1: I I think I've got one. I think, you know, we've talked a lot about brands and sponsors and athletes moving around and this kind of hyper competitive nature uh, of trail running, but no, I work for normal. You know, you've got sponsors and, I think, I think we all just want people to be outside and, and trail run. And I think, you know, I, I don't care, you know, if you want to wear a normal shoe, great, you know, I'll give you a million reasons why you should. And I, I think they're great, but if you're going to go outside and run in Terex or Solomon or Hoka, like awesome too. You know, I think it's, I, and that's one thing, one side of the business and of our sport that I ever wants to change. I think just empowering people and giving people the tools they need to, to find love in the outdoors is, is the most important thing. And I think as long as our industries are rooted in that, and I think that's authenticity, I think that's, that's performance. I, I think trail running will be around for a really long time and have a really positive impact. So lots of talks about brands and athletes moving around and making money, but I think we all just want people out there running trails.
2: Yeah. And I think at the end of the day too, like for those of you who are listening, um, listening or watching or however you're consuming this, um, goes to like, I think the young athlete or the person who wants to be sponsored. I myself have been in that position of like wanting this thing desperately Um, and recognizing after the fact that it really, at the end of the day, like you, what you think you're seeking is like external validation. And like what you really need to be seeking is like alignment with like your own authentic self. And like if a brand aligns with that, amazing, but you can't go to a brand for validation because like the likelihood is that you're going to be super disappointed. So like kind of keep that in mind, like keep that authentic nature of whatever you want to do in mind. And like, if the right thing comes along, it'll come along.
0: What a great place to end. So I just wanted to read a quick quote from the founder of satisfy another really interesting brand that we didn't get around to talking about, but whose founder I'm going to have on the podcast here very soon. His name's Bryce Partouche is I think how you say the last name. I think he's French. But he says, trail culture is like skateboarding. Even when you're not out practicing the sport, people still want to display that they were part of the community by wearing trail shoes or technical clothing. And I think this gets back to what we were saying earlier that, you know, it's just like any subculture, right? And that's one of the things that, I think, you know, I always find entertaining when I'm out in the world is identifying the people who are clearly trail runners and then feeling that simpatico, that vibe of like, I understand you, you understand me, we're part of this community together. And brands often facilitate that connection between people. So it's fun to chat about it. And it's a super interesting time in the sport right now with so many interesting brands. So a big thank you to the MVP, Corinne Malcolm, for joining as usual. Big thank you to Mike Ambrose. A big thank you to everybody who is watching. Make sure you check out the the description here. We've got, you know, uh, discount codes for our sponsors and stuff. This will obviously be like ad free, but we definitely encourage you to support brands uh, that keeps Free Trail in business. Join Free Trail Pro. I got to say that too. Oh, also subscribe to our YouTube channel, please. I'll be that guy. Please subscribe to the Free Trail YouTube channel. That would mean a lot to us. On behalf of Corinne and Mike, have a great night, everybody. Peace out.